Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. Last week, a few of us were sitting around the table having lunch together here at the church. And we were sharing stories, uh, funny church stories of growing up. And, and then, then the conversation kind of turned to some of the, uh, the things that were mandated on us growing up in the church. Um, one said that she, she wasn't allowed to wear jeans to church, and, and one day she did. She wore jeans to church, and she had uh, a man, a man in the church come up to her uh, and tell her, accuse her of looking like a streetwalker. Uh, a teenage girl um, being accused by this man in the church of looking like a streetwalker because she wore jeans to church. I remember as a kid having to put on a suit, um, I guess assuming that, that, that God is watching and, and that's his dress code. Um, that you had to put on your Sunday finest. Um, one said that they weren't allowed to play Frisbee on a Sunday, that God didn't allow running, and so they weren't allowed to play any kind of games uh, at all on the Sabbath. One person said they weren't allowed to buy anything on a Sunday, even groceries for dinner. They weren't allowed to go to any kind of store or buy anything at all, no matter how badly it was needed. Um, I just listened to a sermon by John Piper from back in the 80s when uh, he, was, he was calling on the church to change some of their bylaws where uh, they wanted to remove the complete abstinence of alcohol from the membership requirements, meaning that, that in their church in the early 80s, if you had a glass of wine with dinner, you weren't allowed to be a member at their church. Um, think about all the fighting in church over drums and some of the opinions about that. And uh, I went to school in Saskatchewan, and uh, I was introduced there uh, to this game, Rook. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently, card games were often outlawed because they led to gambling and perhaps other extracurricular activities. Uh, and so the Mennonites came up with their own cards uh, and created this game, Rook, which um, I thought it was strange that it was really just missing the face cards. So I guess it was face cards that were tempting people into things. Um, and so it's, it's these mandates, these rules that aren't found in Scripture, but rather that we've kind of added on to faith. Um, we call these sort of legalistic additions. Uh, legalism is the attachment of behaviors, disciplines, and practices to belief in order to achieve salvation and right standing before God. It's things that we add to grace. It's things that we add to our faith because, uh, well, Jesus alone and grace isn't enough, that we have to clean ourselves up and make ourselves acceptable before God. Um, there are lots of intentional disciplines that we can engage in. Um, and just, and, you know, disciplines of, of prayer, of fasting, of, of spending time in the Word, of meditating. These, these are really good disciplines um, to accept internally and, and to work through. Um, but what happens is we're often not good at living in the tension of saying, this is a good thing and I need to do it more. But without mandating it, legislating it, um, we often take something that's good internally, right? Oh, this was good for me. This made an impact in my life. And then, and then over time, we sometimes force it on others and it becomes an external thing that doesn't actually have internal effect at all. And so this thing that was internal and was, was real and was vibrant once becomes uh, sort of this, this religious duty and then it becomes an external thing and we miss the point altogether. And much of the Old Testament laws were that, were, were in worship. They were, they were initially done well as a way to honor God in order to mark out their purity, in order to separate themselves from the impure. And there was, there was something really good and holy and pleasing about, about doing it the right way for the right reason. Um, but then the behavior kind of trumped the, the, the outcome, and it became all about this legalistic behavior. 
Um, sometimes some of these become uh, protective measures. And so, um, you know, alcohol is an easy example of this. And there's a risk to, to not having a policy. Uh, there's a risk that, that, that things could happen, that people could abuse, that there could be uh, problems. And so we tend to, to, to swing the pendulum hard the other way and just restrict completely. And, and in those restrictions, there, there's, there's its own danger. Um, the danger of legalism where we kind of declare ourselves righteous because of the behaviors we don't do. Um, we tend to, to make these lists of here are the things that I have to do for God and here are the things I can't do for God. And, and we make our lists and then base our, our righteousness on these lists that we've made. And this is legalism, completely separate from grace, completely separate from relationship. And this was the struggle of the Pharisees. And, and Jesus kept having issues with the Pharisees because they looked really good on the outside and they were great at following their lists. They're very, very long lists of do's and don'ts. But inside, it was just corrupt and, and broken. And, and, and these things that were supposed to foster internal growth and worship weren't. And they became about the external actions themselves. Uh, we're going to pick up the text here in uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, where, where, where these, perhaps these Pharisees, and, and sometimes called the, the Judaizers, are coming in and they're saying, listen, Jesus alone isn't enough. You need to also add these other things. Um, and, and they might even be saying, hey, these are good things that will help you in your faith, but they become these legalistic things that we add on. So, uh, verse 16. Let no one, this is Paul saying, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Uh, so, so you see these, these elements of, of Old Testament law coming in. He says, don't let people force those on you. Jesus has fulfilled those laws. Those are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, comes back once again, this, this recurring theme in Colossians, the centrality, the supremacy of Jesus. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with, uh, without reason by his sensuous mind. Um, again, we don't really fully know the, the Colossian heresy, but it seems to have something to do with asceticism, which is the... Um, which is the denial of joys and that, that God takes pleasure if we simply just deny ourselves and live this morose, broken kind of life, uh, asceticism, um, and, and done right as a means of, of earning favor because we have to, as opposed to self-denial of, of, I'm going to deny these things. I'm in a season, I'm going to not experience this as an act of worship. So it's the, the forced external as opposed to the internal which bubbles out. Um, and also there's something about angels. And it seems like uh, th these false teachers who were coming in were saying, listen, you're not good enough to come to Jesus. You need to pray to the angels. You need to go to angels to be a mediator between you and Jesus, which is just uh, false. That Jesus himself is the mediator and we come directly to the throne of grace. And holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishes and is knit together through its joints, ligaments, uh, grows with the growth that is from God. Uh, so he's contrasting the, the sensuous mind, which means uh, sort of the, the flesh-based, the physical-based mind. And then he says the head of Christ, right? That we need to focus on not just uh, our own sort of body, but we need to focus on the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world... Why is it as if you're still uh, alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, 
do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism uh, and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, Paul is saying that the focusing on the outward behaviors and trying to fix the outward um, isn't going to work. Instead, we have to focus on the heart, that we start there, that, that God gives us a new heart, and then as we focus on Christ and change what we love, and as we pursue him, then the outward behaviors will change as a result of the inward transformation. Um, But if we just try and focus on the outward, it's going to be temporary and meaningless. Um, There's a quote I came across in a commentary this week that says, all the supposed means to wisdom and practices of piety take the focus off Christ as the true source of wisdom and growth. To be embraced, then, on the other hand, is simply Christ and Christ alone. He is the head and the substance, the reality to which all the Jewish symbols ultimately point. It's a matter, again, the supremacy of Christ, even in our behavior, in our actions, in what we count as important. And Paul is calling us not to substitute, not to substitute relationship, which, which, can, be, uh, which can be difficult. Relationship, we can't control it. It's, it's often outside of our control as opposed to the behaviors that I can control in my own checklists. Um, and the problem with the checklist is that we decide what's on it, right? I decide what makes this list. And so greed, uh, greed's not on the list. That's not important. Oh, but not swearing, that is important. And then we pick and choose the things that we actually follow and maybe we're missing God's heart altogether. And it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, uh, which I think is a story is, is better off called uh, the parable of the two lost sons. Um, Neither of them, one son runs away, uh, takes his inheritance, squanders it all, and comes back broken, wanting to just be a slave in his father's household. The other stays and does the right thing and and is bitter when when the other son comes home. But both sons, neither, want a relationship with the father. Both just want his stuff. The younger son takes a different... uh, Root where he, he actually says to his father's face, I wish you were dead, give me my stuff. And he goes and he squanders it all and wastes it and realizes that it wasn't about the stuff and that far more important was the relationship in his family, that he had far more that he was missing. And so with his tail between his legs, he returns and the father embraces him and he experiences grace. But the older brother, um, the older brother tries to control by right behavior. And he doesn't want a relationship with his father either. And in some ways, it seems like he's just waiting at the clock, waiting for his father to die so he can get his stuff. And he's bitter when the younger brother comes back just because the stuff that's given him, the ring and the robe, actually uh, were supposed to be his eventually. And and this this story ends with (coughs) the younger son being brought in, the prodigal being brought in. There's a party thrown and the older brother is still outside. We don't actually know if he ends up going back in or not, if he remains out because he doesn't truly care about the father. He's just trying to do the right things so he can eventually get his inheritance. And and, and it's this contrast between those who are broken in sin and realize that they can't do it on their own and they need Jesus and relationship versus those who are religious, who trust in their own good works and God owes me because I've been doing the right things. And I think it's why with Jesus, we see that broken people flock to him. Sinners flock to him. But the religious people, the Pharisees, loathe Jesus. And it comes back to, I think, what do we base our faith on? If I was to ask you today, how is the health of your faith? 
What is some evidence that your faith is healthy and growing? Do we point to our checklists? I'm swearing less. I'm drinking less. I'm looking at pornography less. I, you know, I've, I'm succeeding in this. I'm showing up to church. I'm attending this group. Or is it based on the externals, these lists that we make? Is that where we go, look, there's evidence that my faith is strong because of these behaviors? Or do we point to relationship, connection to Jesus himself? I'm spending time with Jesus, that I'm feeling deeply connected, that I'm hearing from him, that I'm spending time in worship, personal and corporate. Um, it really comes down to what is what is the root core of our faith. This is it about the external behaviors? And if I can simply live up to my checklists, then I'm healthy and then God owes me. Or is our faith about relationship? Paul says, don't make the switch. Don't settle for the mediocre. Don't be drawn into the control that you can have in creating this religious list, this legalism. He said, instead, rely on the relationship and focus on pouring into that. And, and the behaviors, sure, they'll change as we, as we connect with Jesus, as we abide in Him. But don't measure health on the behaviors. Measure health on the relationship. And so an encouragement for you today, a challenge for you today is as we look at what defines my faith. Is it my checklist, my, my, my religious duties, or is it that relationship? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would be central, central in our lives, central in our faith, that our faith would not just be about doing certain behaviors so that you will approve of us, but rather about relationship, about connection, and, and that would, would spur transformation in our lives. But that's secondary, where the internal leads to the external and not the other way around. Uh, Father, help us simply to come before you and, and, and know that you are enough, that you are supreme, that you are central, that you are preeminent above all things, and help us just to sit in the beauty and the joy of the grace that you pour out on us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we have a great day. Talk again soon.